Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years, the people of Israel cried out to God for help. Seeing the affliction of his people, God began his redemptive plan to one day lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. So God appeared to Moses saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Pharaoh would not let the people go, though plague after plague served as a sign to him of God's power and sovereignty. Not until the tenth and final plague was Pharaoh finally moved to send the people of God away. So they left the land of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, passing from slavery to freedom. Well, good morning, ACF. Who's glad to be at church today? Are you glad to be with us? If you're with us online, we love you. Thank you for joining us today. Now, I know that when I say, are you glad to be at church, that for some of you, you gotta, you got to work to, to, to cheer, right? Because it's been a long week. It's been a hard week. And maybe this morning, even, there were things that were trying to keep you from church today. And I get that. There's, there's always going to be those things. And in this kind of crazy rebuilding season we've been in, uh, this is a, a beautiful opportunity for the church to, to kind of get, get our arms wrapped around what we're actually about and for us to be challenged in, in what we believe and what we're actually here for and, and, and how, to, how to create rhythms in our week that lead to our flourishing as people. And so I just want to acknowledge that whether you're here in person or even online, uh, it's not always easy to watch church online. Can we in the room acknowledge that? Who over the course of the last year has watched church online here in the room? So pretty much everybody has watched church online. It's not easy, is it? Like somebody out here has a kid that just spilled the fruit pebbles all over the floor, and then Mason's up here trying to kind of lead us in a moment of worship, and you know, you're screaming at the kids or whatever, you know, it's not easy to engage with corporate worship. You actually have to put some energy into it, which is why we came up with these three uh, rules of engagement for us as a church, and the first is to believe that God has something for us. I just want you to start with that. I mean, you showed up here, you, you came to the building, or you're watching online, and, and so I just want you to know, God wants to speak to you through his word today. He really does, that, that he wants to have an interaction with you. That's incredible. And, and then the next thing is to bring our best. Like, okay, so God wants to speak to me. Do you know that you can actually resist God? The, the word says you can actually resist the spirit and, and resist what he wants to say to you. And so that means you got to show up and, and bring your best if you want to actually experience God today. And then the, the third thing is that we break the fourth wall. We make it real. We leave church. We do something about it, which is why we have these action steps on the seats every single week. We'll get to this at the end of service here today. But I want to start off with this question here uh, this morning. Who at some point has ever said these words? It wasn't supposed to be like this. You ever felt that? You ever looked at your life, looked at the situation you find yourselves in uh, and said, man, it just wasn't supposed to be like this. Whether you know it or not, you have sort of a plan for your life. 
Uh, You have a script that you've already written in a way that you expect parts of your life to go. And so when they don't go that way, there is disappointment. And many of us have have looked up to God and said, God, what are you doing? It wasn't supposed to go like this. I love comeback stories, don't you? I love a good movie with a comeback story. You know what I hate? Are movies that end where the main character just sort of like, they just die and that's the end of the movie. There's a lot of movies like that where, and, and that's the kind of movie I don't watch more than once, right? You're like, okay, I've seen it. I don't need to see that again. But I love a good comeback story. I love it when, man, everything comes together at the end of the story. But the, the, the truth is, like, that's, that's fiction. That's not real life. Like, my life isn't going to work out like that in every way. It's not always going to be a comeback story. Sometimes it, it's discouraging. Sometimes it's, it's challenging, right? And part of my story is, is uh, I think a, a lot of things in my life I would describe as, man, it wasn't supposed to be that way. One of those is when I got into ministry. So um, I'm coming up on 18 years in ministry as a pastor. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, I actually went to school to be a diesel mechanic if, if we don't know each other. That's what I planned on doing. And, and so, you know, those are the, about the same thing. And, and then uh, I'd been serving in the church. I just loved being part of the church just as a volunteer. And I'd play in the band and uh, work with our student ministries. And, and Amanda and I, we were dating and, and getting ready to get married. And I got a phone call from a friend who said, hey, why don't you move over uh, here and be part of our church and you can lead worship and do youth ministry. And so I just, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And I remember my family, when they found out that I was going into ministry, they were like, you're doing what? Like you? Like the kid that we caught getting high in the garage on spray paint fumes, like that Brian is going to go and be a pastor? Like, I can't imagine, right? And, so, and, then, and then so as people start kind of, wow, that's a sacrifice. Look at you being a, a, a man of the cloth, right? You're a, you're a man of the Lord. And, and uh, I started getting a little, a little proud of myself, right? Because I was like, well, look what I'm doing, like my big sacrifice. And, and, and I remember talking to God and being like, hey, this is, this is going to be really good, right? Like, like this is going to work out, right? And so I get, I get doing ministry, and, and for a little while, it was great. For a little while, things went really well. And then, then over time, it, there, there became this tension between myself and, and the leaders of the church and a difference in philosophy, and, and then it got really bad. And, uh, and I'm still serving in ministry, but I, I was really grumpy. Um, you know, I was just really upset, I think, at the way the church was. And at this point in my life, you know, I'm in, in my early 20s, I had a lot of vision for who the bride of Christ should be, but I didn't have much love for who she was. Does that make sense? You married people, you can take that to the bank too. Yeah, there's something, something there, right? Like you got lots of vision for who he or she could be, but do you love him or her for who they are? And so um, I didn't know how to do that. And so I, I became very frustrated and very unhealthy in the way that I was managing my frustration. And uh, I just kept thinking like at one point, the leadership in this church, they're gonna come to their senses and realize that I am God's gift to the church. You know, the 21-year-old version of me that I am God's gift to the church. And then um, they did come to their senses. I came back from a vacation and found out that I no longer had a job. So um, that was honestly, as I look at my life, one of the most loving things anybody ever did for me. Um, I needed that. 
And I distinctly remember coming up to Alaska. I, I went through a season of, of fr- frustration. And in fact, we talk a lot about as a church uh, amplifying the grace of Jesus to the churched, unchurched, and dechurched. And so I was part of the dechurched crowd for a season. And, and if you know any pastors that have come out of ministry, you know that there's sort of a, a season that they many times go through of frustration and anger and just all kinds of different things. You're working through that. And so I remember having an opportunity to come to Alaska. This is about 12 years ago. And having a completely different conversation with God. Uh, Realizing that this was a a group of about 30 people. That's what ACF was. And that this was almost like a church restart or replant. And there's all kinds of vision. But I had no promises. It wasn't like this thing's going to, you know, going to fly. Sometimes you go and you you participate as a pastor with a church. And it's your job to help kind of put it to rest. Right? Like some churches need to shut down. And, and, and that's okay. Like, like churches have life cycles sometimes and not all churches live forever. And so coming to Alaska, I felt strongly for the first time in my life that, that God was calling me to a place that may or may not look like success by all outward standards. That, that I didn't know what it was going to be, but I felt confident that, that if God was calling me to come to Alaska to be part of ACF Church so that I could help put ACF to rest, that I still did exactly what God wanted me to do. That I wasn't going to determine my, my obedience based on how easy life was going to be. And that's not how I'd always run my life at all. In fact, mostly the opposite. Most of the time, I like to make deals with God. You ever made a deal with God? You ever said, you know what, I'm doing the right thing. I'm finally sacrificing. I'm, I'm finally leaning fully in. I'm finally going to give up my time. Or I'm going to finally start tithing to church. God, God I'm going to do this, but you owe me. You ever said those words before? God, you owe me. I know I've dealt with that, and, uh, and God, God has this way of not meeting our expectations, doesn't he? He has this way of, of being God as we are not supposed to be. And so the question I have for you is, what happens in your heart when your obedience leads to more resistance? What, what, who is God? When you do the right thing, you do exactly what he asked you to do, and your life gets harder. It's more difficult. What I start to do is I question my decisions, right? I start to question, did I do the right thing? Maybe it wasn't the right thing. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be different than this. Like, 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 shouldn't obedience make my life better? Shouldn't obedience make my life easier? Well, at this point in the story of the series that we're walking through, this is called Into the Wild. Uh, we're talking through the first part of the book of Exodus, And we're actually going to be teaching through the first 12 chapters, and then we're going to close out the series uh, on Good Friday with the Passover. And it's really excited about this. By the way, Easter's like four weeks out. It's coming, people. And side note, last year we were so excited about Easter, and then we had to do it online. And so I am fired up for an in-person Easter here in Eagle River. So really excited about that. But the story up to now, what we see is God's people enslaved in Egypt, right? And we've said this from the beginning, that Egypt represents everything that enslaves us. So as we are reading the story of Israel, the Hebrew people, we're actually laying our lives sort of into this story and going, God, where is my oppression? Where's the slavery that's either been put on me or that I've put myself into? And so there are these things that oppress us. And so you've got these people, then you've got this guy named Moses, who God is raising up to lead his people out of slavery into freedom, right? So we know that God calls Moses. Last week we talked all about the excuses that Moses gave, right? Uh, he said, well, I don't speak good, right? 
Anybody get that? No. I don't speak good, right? I'm not a good speaker. I don't do this well. So he gives him Aaron and says, Aaron and Moses, you guys are going to work together and you're going to be my voice to the people. I'd imagine he felt really insecure, right? We, we talked about the story of him killing the Egyptian. So he hasn't always had a, uh, a good management of his temper. Um, Moses has a bit of an anger problem, uh, which many of us relate to. And so he, he's got all these insecurities. God calls him into leadership. And at this point in the story, God's people have really leaned in to Moses as the leader. In fact, there's almost like an awakening of God's people, like a revival going on. And they're acknowledging who God is. It's like a high-traction spiritual moment for God's people, kind of like what's going on right now. I don't know if you know this, but we are living in a very high-traction spiritual moment for the people of God. Just culturally speaking right now, in the, in the sifting that COVID has created, then the political season, and, and all of the things that have gone on, that this is a very high-traction moment. I was um, at the ACF Men's Bro-Treat a couple of weeks ago. Anybody part of that? A few of you guys in the room? Awesome. So... Um, I, I got to tell you, I've been doing this for a little bit. I have never seen a group of men so on fire for God, like so hungry to hear from God. I've, I've never seen it before. Uh, we we, had, we had, to, had to shut down our registrations because we just ran out of room. And we almost didn't, didn't do the, the, the retreat. We almost didn't even plan it. We're like, who's going to want to show up to this? Apparently, a lot of people do. Apparently, there's this, now, now we're not going to see everybody that used to go to church show back up. But we're also seeing a lot of people leaning in that have never leaned in before. And so God is, this is high traction spiritual moment. And you'd imagine Moses was probably walking on air. He's like, all right, God, I see it. I see, I, I, maybe I had my doubts in you at first, but now like I'm kind of the man, right? People are following my leadership. You know, I, I'd imagine he's kind of getting a little excited about that potential that's going on there. If you guys want to open up to chapter five, verse one, that's where we're going to pick it up here today. says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Okay, so imagine this. So you're Moses. You finally work up the courage to stand up to Pharaoh. You've got all your people behind you. God is surely on your side. He has given you a word. Take this word to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they can go and worship. You finally speak these words to Pharaoh and you're imagining Pharaoh going, oh, I'm going to go to my knees and worship of this God. You know, oh, I should have never enslaved you guys. Sure, go ahead, go worship your God. And he goes, what God? Your God? I don't know this God. I've never heard of this God. What are you talking about? I don't know this God, and I'm not going to let you go. And I imagine Moses thought to himself, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This is not the response that I expected. Have you ever been there where you finally did exactly what God asked you to do? You spoke the words God asked you to speak, and you got nothing but resistance? I remember sitting in a pickup truck with a friend of mine, who hadn't uh, grown up in the church, been around church very much, had a resistance to, to spiritual things, and I'd been, I'd been wanting to talk to him about my faith. And so um, 
I started talking to him and I I just, I opened my mouth and I started talking about my journey in the church and my journey of of coming to a knowledge of Jesus. And and in the middle of me talking, he goes, I'm just going to stop you right there. I don't believe in God. And it was just silence in the truck. And I, and I I made this point to myself. I said, I'm never going to do that again. That was way too uncomfortable. You know, there was this d- discomfort in the, in the relationship after that. I was like, that just made it weird. Now I'm the guy that makes things weird. I don't want to be that guy. And so I made this commitment to myself. I'm just not going to do that again. Some of you have done that. You tried to speak up. You tried to speak God's word for somebody, and you got such a, a, a lashback from them that you made a decision, whether you knew it or not, to never do that again because it's just too painful. You just thought, it's not worth the sacrifice So why does Moses ask Pharaoh to let his people go? Like, ultimately, what is he asking them to be able to do? It's interesting that he doesn't simply say, hey, would you let my people go so that we can go do whatever we want? Would you set my people free so that we can just go live our lives and not have to live under the burden of your oppression? No, he specifically says, let my people go so that they can go into the wilderness to worship. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down here today. This is important. God sets us free so that we would worship him. There's a purpose to the liberation that God wants to give you. Like God does want to set you free. God does want to work in your lives and and work through your obedience, but it may not be with the outcome that, that you're looking for. His purposes may not be your purposes because in this text what we see is the purpose of their freedom is worship. They wanted to be released from their oppression to worship. Why do you want to be set free? What is it in your life that you're saying, God, would you, would you work in this area? Would you, would you show up in this part of my life? Would you change these circumstances? The question is, why? You need to know this. Like throughout the, the biblical narrative, God shows up and sets people free, not to make them great, but to make himself great. Not because they are the point, but because he is the point, right? Not to put God's, uh, everyone's attention on them, but to put everybody's attention on him. And this is so important for us as a church, as we want to see people set free. It's not because we want to make the name of ACF great. It's because we want to make God's name great. We want to see our city set free so that God can be lifted up and the world's attention can be on him. This idea of worshiping through these struggles and and worshiping when, um, you know, we're walking in obedience and it's not going like we want it to, it's it's a difficult thing. Why is that the purpose? Why does God want us to worship? One of my favorite authors is a man named C.S. Lewis. Um, I always try to work a C.S. Lewis quote into my sermon. It just makes it a win every every time I do because his stuff's just amazing. If you've never read any of his books, it's really good. Um, But C.S. Lewis talks about his own spiritual journey. He was an atheist. And then came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but he really, he did the work. He did his homework. Like he, he really wrestled with it for a long time. And he, he talks about how the idea of worship in the Bible was really confusing to him. And he describes God in his mind. He said, God was almost like a needy old woman that continued to go, worship me, worship me, worship me, because she was so insecure. That, that was the image he had in his mind, his mind, was that God just needs the worship of his people. He's so uncomfortable with himself that he needs us to, to kind of up the ante a little bit, to try to encourage him a little bit, make sure that he knows that he's okay, right? That's not the case at all. God doesn't need our worship. We do. 
He doesn't need your worship. Like when we sing here at church and you lift your hands in worship, God's not in heaven going, I sure hope they sing to me today. I sure hope John stands up in church and lifts his hands. Oh my goodness, who am I if they don't do that? Like God is not insecure about who he is. He has always been and always will be. He does not need us to affirm him. So that's important that we understand that. So then it brings up the question, then why why worship? As C.S. Lewis struggles with this, he, uh, he says this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Now, now, this is important that you understand this. We do praise what we enjoy. We speak freely about what we enjoy. We can't stop talking about what we really enjoy. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that, the, that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. I love that. I mean, this is a deep truth for us today. That you can't actually experience the joy of God that, that he wants for you until you express worship to him. And it's in the expression of, of worship of him that you actually begin to enjoy God for who he is. This is so different from an emotions-based spirituality, which I just want to tell you is so addicting for the church today. I mean, we need emotions. Emotions are good. God gave us emotions, but emotions are not the point. I mean, if you come to church hoping to feel the feels, you're, gonna, you're not going to keep coming. I just want you to know that. Because sometimes it's just, like I said earlier, kind of hard to show up. Sometimes you're dealing with some difficulty at home. You're struggling with what's coming up on Monday. Like, it's not always easy. The feelings aren't always there. So what happens to your worship when you don't feel it? Apparently, God says, worship me anyway. Apparently, the feelings come after, not before authentic worship. And I've seen this in my life, is that when I, when I choose to do what God asks me to do, it's normally painful. I mean, most of the time, I'll be real with you, I don't feel like being obedient to God. I mean, this may be a shock to some of you because it's like, well, that's the pastor. But I don't wake up every morning all stoked up on what can I do to be obedient to God. I want to be that way and I'm growing in that way, but I don't always feel that. So when I don't feel it, I have to choose it because I know it's true and right. And what I've seen over and over again in my life is God be so faithful is that when I do it, I start to feel it. Have you been there? Like, I don't feel like lifting my hands in worship, but then you're like, oh, this, there's something freeing about this. Whatever it may be that God is asking you to do, don't depend on your feelings. Depend on what God has said. Be obedient to him. Why does God want our worship? Because worship bring us, brings us closer to his love and to our joy. It's not because he needs it. It's because we do. We're the ones that need to worship. Again, it's why we talk about what we love so freely. Because something com- is completed within us. There's a joy that's, that, that happens inside of us when we talk about what it is that we love, right? Our kids, our hobbies, our accomplishments, our successes. When we openly speak about those things, when we let those out of us, there's, a, there's an enjoyment of those things that's completed. The same is true as we worship God freely. Let's continue on in the story. Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. 
Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And so they feel a tension and a pressure, right? I mean, they have been living in slavery and they're, they're struggling under Pharaoh. They're, this is an oppressed life. And they've also got this God that they believe is, is real. But they also have this holy fear of that God, right? They're, they're kind of like, if we don't worship, life's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. I think the same is true for us. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you're a believer, that, that, that when you stop worshiping, life gets harder. Your circumstances might not change at all, but the way you feel about them does. So they say, we want to, God has met with us. We want to go to the wilderness to worship. And they're actually caught between a couple of different difficult options. And the first option is this, worship Pharaoh and live in oppression. They know if we aren't set free, we're just going to continue on living in this slavery, in this terrible situation. We could stick with this. We could go on worshiping Pharaoh, worshiping the God of this world, whoever that may be. The second option is worship God and bear the wrath of Pharaoh. They know that. They know that they're risking a lot. If they're going to worship God, they're going to actually be, uh, come, become down on by, uh, by Pharaoh. And this is the truth for us, for uh, Christians in the world today. If you're going to worship God, there's going to be resistance. You can choose to, to go with the world. You can go with the ways of our culture, or you can resist the ways of the culture and bear the wrath of the culture that we live in. This is, this, is, this is the truth. But the problem is we come up with what I would call imaginary option number three, which is worship God and Pharaoh. Is there a way that I can go to church on Sunday, lift my hands in worship of God, say, God, you are everything to me. You're the savior of my soul. God, I am nothing without you. And go to work on Monday and live like God doesn't exist. Is there a way to do this? The scriptures talk about God like a jealous God. He's like a jealous lover that, that isn't, isn't okay with, with you sort of, sort of having other lovers in your life. Like this God is like, no, 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 it's, it's me or them, but it's not both. And so we have a decision to make whether we like it or not. And so as Israel says, we want to go to the wilderness to worship. This is making a very big point to Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh was living like he is God. What, what Israel is saying is that you're not God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that, that God is God. This is, this is God. He is supreme. There is only one God. And so this is like a declaration of war against Pharaoh. And so you need to know this, that, that moving in our society, the way that it's going, the more that, that, that it keeps moving, you're going to experience more resistance as you say that Jesus is Lord. When they said Jesus is Lord, there was a lot of pushback. And I just want you to know, if you felt comfortable saying that up to this point, it may get more and more difficult to say that Jesus is Lord. What happens when your obedience leads to more resistance? Who is God in those moments? It's going to elicit a response from the world. Just like this moment elicited a response. We're going to read more about that response from Pharaoh. But I love in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we have this word to the church, like when you get filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, there's going to be a power in you that results in you being a witness to the world. 
And this is what happens when God's church is, is, is following the Spirit of God and making difficult decisions, the right decision, the obedient decision, that the world is going to take notice. They're going to see it. Some will run to it. Others will resist it. But that is the response that's going to come. As the story continues, we're going to see how obedience to God makes everybody's life easier, right? Verse 7, this is Pharaoh's word back to the Israelites. He says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. Now, they were supplying that, right? If you ever tried to kind of make a mud pie together, it helps to have something in there. For them, that's what they were doing, kind of making mud pies, making bricks. The straw helps it to stay together. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. So this is, uh, this is, this is the resistance that he's giving God's people when they want to go worship. Is He's saying they're just lazy. Uh, if you haven't felt that yet from your friends or your family members that, that don't follow Jesus, you will. At some point, by you choosing God and doing the things of God, even coming here to church right now, you may be accused of being lazy, right? Because you could be doing something else. You could be making some money, right? You could be doing a lot of different things right now with your time, being productive by a different standard, or you could be worshiping, right? He says, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So there we have it. Bold proclamation leading to increased resistance. And then we have this idea that, I mean, they're going to worship. Really, they're, ac- they're asking for a Sabbath is what they're asking for. Th- this life of oppression in, in, for Israel is defined by work 24-7. They, they don't stop because that is oppressive to the soul. It's why we have the idea of the Sabbath in the scriptures. Once again, it's not for God, it's for you. Because you were not made to just constantly create output without having input from God. Like you're just not created to to do that. You can't thrive that way. And so right here in the text, we see this idea of taking a Sabbath connected to an increased opposition. Some of you have felt that before. Like every time I want to go to church, it gets hard. Every time I want to take a break, it gets hard. Every time I want to slow down and just get in the word, it gets hard. just want you to know you're not alone. That's, that's how it's always happened, is you're going to get resistance if you want to begin to take a Sabbath, right? Sabbath, if you don't know what it is, it's simply our declaration to God, to the world, to ourselves, that we don't have to earn our value, but our value is fully imparted to us by God himself. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to earn our right to breathe air, Right? But that God says that we are intrinsically valuable because we are one of his people. And so when you do this thing, when you sit and watch online, find the camera, when you're watching online, you're stopping and what you're doing is a resistance, a collective resistance to the oppressive ways of the world that preach self-reliance, workaholism, hoarding, works-based religion. All of these things are just, they're not of God. So we stop and we go, I'm not going to put anything out. I'm just going to worship God. I'm not going to produce. I'm just going to hear from God for a minute. So Pharaoh says, same quota, less resources. Do the work with less. Again, your faithfulness to Jesus is going to be a threat to everybody else's God. If you're going to be faithful to Jesus, 
in every area of your life, it's going to threaten their God. And they're going to try to impart their worldview on you. They're just going to want to do that. In fact, this week I was reading a little bit about uh, Auschwitz, the concentration camp. And there's a sign above the uh, entrance. In fact, can we put that picture up here? If you've never seen this before, this is uh, the gate to Auschwitz. And uh, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, the word there is Albright macht frei. It's best I can do. Which simply means work sets you free. Now, if you don't know what life was like in a concentration camp, I was reading about it this week. It was essentially you would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and you would work no less than 11 hours in a day. Uh, they might let you end the day by uh, taking a bath or getting cleaned up a little bit, but uh, the living conditions were absolutely horrific. It, it's a picture of what life is like without a Sabbath. Oppressive. Just nothing but oppression. And so what they got to look at every time they went into this place was this statement, right? I mean, really, this is a worldview, right? Right? This is a worldview that they're living by. Work sets you free. That's what's preached to you and I every single day. Oh, oh you need to make some money? Just work harder, right? You need, you need to fix your life? Just work harder. You, you, need to, you need to get your heart put back together? You need to fix something wrong inside of your soul? Just work harder, right? You have an addiction? Just work harder. Everything, if you just work harder, you can fix it. How many of you know that doesn't always work out? And I am all for hard work. I, I, I work hard. I hope you do as well. There's something, we're going to work in, the, in heaven. And the, the kingdom is, everybody has jobs, right? I'm just, I'm looking forward to that, to having work without oppression, right? So work is not a bad thing, but work does not set you free. Jesus does. It's so important to know the difference. And I want you to know, what sermon are you preaching to your kids, to your family members, right? As they look at you work, are they like, oh, I think they think work sets them free. Or, or are they going, oh, no, Jesus sets them free. And so this is oppressive. We need rest. We need to worship. This is so key. So back to obedience that leads to resistance. I, I hope you just think about something in your life right now. What is it that's, that you're experiencing resistance in that you're trying to do the right thing? Here's the big idea of the morning. Don't miss this. That obedience that rewards with difficulty is always better than disobedience that rewards with comfort. You might think, well, how can that be, Brian? How can it be better that my life gets difficult when I do the right thing? The reason is that there is no peace apart from obedience to God. I just want you to know, whatever it is in your life that you're like, I'm just trying to kind of not think about that right now, there's a lack of peace in your world that if you would choose to follow God in that area of your life, you would wonder how you lived under the oppression that you experienced. And I've experienced this so many times where I'm like, man, I've ignored God, I've resisted God, I haven't wanted to obey God in this one area. And then once I start to obey him, it's like there is a weight, a burden that's lifted off of me. And it doesn't mean that it gets easier, but it just means that there's peace in my heart. And I don't know if you've experienced this before, but peace in your heart is worth a lot, right? I would give up a lot for peace in my heart. And so we have to choose sometimes. Do you want peace or do you want to continue in disobedience? To God. So how do, the, how do the Hebrews respond to this whole situation, right? So life has gotten harder. Moses uh, speaks for God, and, uh, and now they don't get any straw. They get to make bricks, the same number of bricks, in harder um, conditions. It says in verse 19, 
The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So how quickly we turn, right? How quickly we go from bowing down to bowing up, right? We're like, oh God, you're so good. Then we're like, what are you doing to my life, right? We've been there before. Sometimes it happens just on the way home from church. Like I just was worshiping Jesus. Now I'm screaming at God and my kids at the same time, right? I mean, we have this way of of switching and they, they, they flipped on Moses. And I bet Moses, think of the insecurity of this man, right? I mean, he already feels inadequate. He's not a good speaker. Killed this Egyptian, right? People are talking about him behind his back. I mean, he's already insecure, and now they're like, you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. But what would have happened to Moses had Pharaoh listened to him? I was just thinking this week, and and I'm just speculating, but what if Moses would have said, hey, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, okay, you're free to go. What would the people have done? They would have worshipped Moses, right? I mean, how could you not? Look what this guy did. He stood up to Pharaoh, right? I mean, wow, look at this guy. I mean, and I'd imagine for, for Moses, it would have been really easy to get a big head, right? It would have been really easy to think, well, 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 maybe I did something. Maybe I'm not as bad of a speaker as I thought I was, right? Like, I just did pretty good right there. And, and now my people are set free. I just wonder if it was by God's grace that they continued in oppression. We don't see it that way many times, do we? But Moses gets honest with God because he's frustrated. This is not the outcome he wanted. It was not supposed to be this way in his mind. And he says in verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? You ever said that to God? Why'd you ever think to, to call me to that? Why would you ever choose me to do that? And he says, he says that God did evil. Does God do evil? No, so Moses' theology is even screwed up, right, in this moment. But it's okay because God is there with him. He's speaking honestly to God. You know, sometimes you don't have to clean up your prayers for God. They don't have to be all theologically polished. I love that the, the, the Bible's full of this stuff, right? As you start reading it, you're like, well, that's bad theology. It is. He's an angry man. My theology gets pretty jacked up when I'm angry too, right? I just start saying stuff, but, but God, God receives this prayer just as he would your prayer here today. If you're frustrated with God, he's big enough for your anger. He's big enough for your bad theology, right? It's not like he, he's up there going, you're what? You're angry with me? Oh my goodness, I had no idea. God knows your heart. At least go to him. See, this is what's so unhealthy about Christians sometimes is when we have struggles and questions and anger, we disconnect from community and we disconnect from God. It's the last thing you need to do. If you're here today and you're angry at God and you don't believe that he is faithful, you're in the right place. There's people in this room that feel the same way you do. But again, what we just read is that the best thing for your soul is not to wait till you feel it, but to worship. Just to, just to live in worship of God no matter what happens. 
You see, in the end, I think that we uh, have a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. I think in the church today, there's something that's, uh, that we struggle with. It's called the prosperity gospel. Do you know what the prosperity gospel is? Um, it's basically this understanding that um, because God is good, if I do something that he asked me to do, if I'm obedient to God, then my life should get better, Right? If God is good, then when I'm obedient, my life should get better. Now, in big and small ways, this has found its way into our theology. It's found, and, and I would believe that probably everybody in the room has just a little bit of this in them. I know I do. And I see it when I get mad at God when things get difficult. When I do the right thing, when things get hard. Uh, I hear about stuff every time. Like We as a church, we've done um, some, some big giving initiatives as a church because we've got this 40-year-old building that's at a great location, but it's needed some work. And so many of you have been very generous. The room that you sit in here in this building and the cameras that are filming for you online are the product of people being really generous. And every time we've done one of these big initiatives, I get texts from people, Pastor Brian made a big commitment this week and the dryer died on Monday. Pastor Brian made a big commitment this week and I lost my job on Monday. Uh, I made a big commitment this week, and I came out from church, and I had a flat tire. That literally happened one time. A lady left church, went out of the parking lot, and had a flat tire on her car in the parking lot. She's like, what am I doing, right? Shouldn't it be easier than this? Come on. I think, let's be honest. If you're going to make a big commitment and be sacrificial in one way or another, you're going to choose to finally tell somebody about Jesus and, and risk the relationship. Don't you expect a little bit of feedback from them that's positive, Right? This is the prosperity gospel. It weeds itself into our lives, and it doesn't describe who the real Jesus is for us. In fact, as the old saying goes, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. It turns out that Jesus' ultimate goal for your life is not that you'd feel comfortable. It's that you would become holy. It's that he'd change your heart. And it it turns out that through the difficult things is actually how he does this. I love this quote. It says, The modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. So we're super passionate about some Jesus that doesn't even exist, the one that's here to make my life better. We want a faith that exists for us rather than realizing that we live for Christ. That's why we exist. We exist for him. And I don't even think that we realize how much we use comfort as a gauge of our obedience, that we're doing the right thing, right? I mean, how many of you have said this before? Well, the doors just started opening, so I knew it was the right thing. Really? So open doors mean the right thing? I just want you to know there are a lot of open doors to your self-destruction, and mine too. It is really easy to do a lot of things that are really terrible. So be careful saying, well, it got easier so I knew it was God, right? Preach that to Jesus. It did not get easier. It got harder. I want to read this last story. This is uh, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are um, traveling around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel, and uh, they see this little girl who is enslaved, has been trafficked, She's got this demon inside of her and the, these, these men are actually leveraging this demon to make money. And so they cast the demon out of this little girl and now these guys can't make money with her. And so because of that, they end up putting Paul and Silas in prison. And this is what happens. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So what did they do when they went to prison? Start off by worshiping, right? You think they felt like it? They were like, ooh, these bricks are nice and warm. I'm liking these chains today. You think they were enjoying themselves? No, they chose to worship. They might have been worshiping through tears in their eyes, with anger in their hearts, but also giving honor to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Amen. When the jailer woke, he saw the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. That's some perspective there. Anybody else just like if the door was open, would you get out of there? Paul's like, I see a chance to do ministry. Let's stay in prison a little longer. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Imagine that. The jailer's washing the wounds that he may have inflicted himself on these two men. And then he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a cool story. This is not the way we tend to think of our lives. Obedience will lead to resistance. I promise you that. But so many of us are looking at God and we're pleading with him and we're screaming sometimes at him, God, if you would set me free, then I would worship. And God looks at us and says, if you would worship, I would set you free. So what are you waiting for? God's here. He loves you. We like to make deals and say, God, you owe me. And I imagine Jesus looks at us and he's like, with nail-pierced hands saying, how much more can I give? What more do you want from me? You see, I think many times we want God to save us from our oppression. But what if God wants to save you through it? What if the thing that is afflicting you the deepest today is is the way that God's going to make his grace more evident to you? than it could ever be if you never struggled at all. So what do we do with this? I want you to grab your little insert here. We've got some steps to take. Again, this doesn't make any difference if you don't do something with it. So what is your next step here today? Would you just pull this out real quick? Um, again, we're just, we want to text you just some encouragement this week. That's all we're doing. We're not going to sell your email address or something like that. We just want to encourage you this week. So maybe your first step is to Give your life to Jesus and be baptized like this man. How cool is that? Once again, we see baptism directly connected with salvation. Like there's the very next step. And I just want you to know every single month we're doing baptism at ACF. If you want to get baptized, we're just going to do this. We're faithfully going to fill the tank and we're just going to see what God does. So maybe it's to speak more openly about Jesus in your church. Are you kind of tight-lipped about this stuff? Do your friends know you're here? Are you pretty careful not to tag yourself here? I don't know, like what's, what's your struggle? 
Maybe it's to just speak more openly about Jesus in your church. Just see what God does with that. Maybe it's to start to worship through your struggles. Maybe today, you know, here in a minute, we're going to sing and you're not going to feel like it, but you're going to worship God. Believing that the heart will come after. But I just need to declare what's true. Or the fourth thing is to choose the uncomfortable path. There's something in your life that you're like, um, I just would rather it be easier. God, the transformation you might do in my heart through discomfort is not worth it to me. And maybe today you've said, no, what if it is worth it? What, 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 if, I, what if I would, on the other side of this, say, I, I should have given up everything for peace? What if peace is worth giving up all things? Choosing the hard path. So maybe for you, you need to choose the hard path today. So you can check that box and just drop this in the offering on the way out. The box is by the door and love to encourage you in that. Would you stand up? I want to pray for you. And then we're going to close in worship here today. Father, we just want to confess together that uh, there's a little prosperity gospel in all of us. And we like to make deals with you, even though you've made the ultimate sacrifice for us. So, Father, we want to together say you don't owe us a thing. You don't owe ACF Church a thing. God, we don't deserve another day on the planet. But, Father, you give us value. Not because we are good, but because you are. So God, I pray that we would shine the spotlight on you and not ourselves, that we would not be the center, the ultimate purpose of why we ask for liberation and freedom from oppression and slavery in our lives, God. But Father, I pray that you would be the reason, that we'd want to make your name great, not just make our lives easier. God, help us to do the hard thing that leads to the most peace this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.